I'm not as young as I used to be, which means I can't treat my body the way I once did. In fact, last year's medical checkup didn't turn out the best, so I decided I needed to change things up and start eating healthier. One of the ways I do that is by making smoothies. But smoothie shop prices can be pretty high, and making them at home always seem like a pain. You gotta pull the blender out, find the right attachments, set everything up, and then cleaning everything is annoying, making it difficult to quickly whip up a breakfast smoothie in the morning. That's why I'm glad to tell you about the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Like I said, it's portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. That's especially important to me because I wake up before the rest of my family, and once my kids are up, my morning work routine is pretty much shot to hell. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. BlendJet 2 has over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, so if you don't like one design, there's definitely one that suits your personality. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use my promo code, SuperCinemaPod12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use my code, SuperCinemaPod12, that's SuperCinemaPod and the number's 1-2, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. you don't have time time is relative your body hasn't even hit the floor yet i've spent so many years peering through time looking at this exact moment but i can't see past it i've prevented countless terrible futures and after each one there's always another and they all lead here but never further you think this is where you die you wonder what I see in your future? No. Yes? I never saw your future, only its possibilities. You have such a capacity for goodness. You always excelled, but not because you craved success, but because of your fear of failure. That's what made me a great doctor. It's precisely what kept you from greatness. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. Which is? It's not about you. When you first came to me, you asked me how I was able to heal Jonathan Pangborn. I didn't. He channels dimensional energy directly into his own body. He uses magic to walk. Constantly, he had a choice to return to his own life or to serve something greater than himself. So I could have my hands back again, my old life. You could, and the world would be all the lesser for it. I've hated drawing power from the dark dimension, but as you well know, sometimes one must break the rules in order to serve the greater good. Mordo won't see it that way. 
Mordo's soul is rigid and unmovable, forged by the fires of his youth. He needs your flexibility, just as you need his strength. Only together do you stand a chance of stopping Dormammu. I'm not ready. No one ever is. We don't get to choose our time. Death is what gives life meaning. To know your days are numbered. Your time is short. You'd think after all this time I'd be ready. But look at me. Stretching one moment out into a thousand. Just so that I can watch the snow. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. And if you're hearing some um, uh, little music in the background, that's my son playing with his toys. So sorry about that. But um, today I'd like to welcome uh, a new guest to the show and a fellow podcaster, and that is Hugh McStay. Hugh, how are you doing today? Hi, Perry. I'm not too bad. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this all week. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it, uh, too. Um, in fact, fairly recently, we had we had your co-host Ashley on to talk about oh, wow. uh, Tank Girl. And um, ah. and I'm glad you <laughs> asked to come on today to talk about Doctor Strange. So I'm really excited about that because this is one of those um, this has been one of those gaping holes in the MCU that we have not mm. covered yet. Um, so I'm really looking forward to diving into this movie. And I really yeah. had a lot of fun rewatching it. When last I was going- night. When I was going through your back catalogue, you know, trying to pick films, I was actually surprised to see this one was still up for grabs. So uh, this is a film I'm very keen to talk about, very near and dear to my heart, this one. That is, uh, it's the funniest thing because we'll we'll get people who come on and um, and get, you know, we've done, you know, over 150 episodes now and yeah. people will come in, they'll request uh, the most obscure movies. And I'm looking at it and I'm just like, you know, <laughs> no one has, still no one to this day has requested The Dark Knight, which still blows my mind. That's crazy. You still not covered the Dark Knight? Oh my goodness! I may have to still haven't covered the Dark Knight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we could definitely talk about that afterwards. Um, But anyway, uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so um, as I said, my name's Hugh McStay. I'm uh, I'm a podcaster and writer from uh, Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, for for many years, I was mostly just a writer. I did I do a lot of um, horror film reviews. Uh, that's kind of uh, my my home is over at the London Horror Society when I'm one of the staff writers. So um, covering all sort of new. Initially, it was like UK horror based. We would kind of focus on, as you'd imagine, with the London Horror Society. But we've branched out in recent years, and we kind of cover things from all over the globe. So uh, a lot of my critical writings there. Um, but I'm, I'm also a keen uh, novelist and short story writer. I say novelist. I'm still working on my first novel, but I've had about maybe 35, 40 short stories published over the last maybe five or six years. Um, so, like, I'm, you know, I'm fairly prolific when it comes to that, just, you know, grinding them out. And I just love sitting down to write a good horror story. Just That's my, my total jam. Um, and the last year or so, I've kind of... I've, Kind of fallen in love a little bit with podcasting. Um, m- myself and uh, Dan Owen uh, run a podcast called Vampire Videos, where we look back the la- through the last hundred years of vampire cinema. We do films and TV shows, and we always have lots of really interesting guests from you know the world of horror and, and beyond on on for that. So that's good fun, and they're uh, probably most relevant to your listeners, Perry. We, I'm the co-host of Podcast Six One Six with uh, the wonderful Ashley Thomas, who I believe you had on. You said uh, quite recently covering Tank Girl. Um, and we again, we we're kind of MCU specific, but again, we branch out every now and again. Uh, I think the most recent thing we've done was the uh, the 
the Spider-Man movie, the uh, the Miles Morales. The, um, yeah, Into, Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse, thank you, yeah. In fact, so, yeah, yeah, I did listen to that one. I uh, really enjoyed that one. Although, oh, wow. um, uh, definitely uh, d- definitely disagreed with you guys on the Kingpin design because I love that um, uh, Bill oh. Sienkiewicz-inspired look. <laughs> well, yeah, see, that's that's the thing. As, as you know, we discussed on the pod, I'm not against the design. It just feels out of place within that mm-hmm. part, that portion of the movie because um, obviously the the, uh, the the Daredevil comic that it's, that it's taken from is a wonderful comic and the art style on display there is magnificent. For me, the Kingpin design it just kind of rucks up against the rest of the film in a way that it didn't quite gel for me, but hey all opinions are welcome <laughs> it's fair enough yeah um my uh we we had covered that back in the the first version of the show with my original co-host and at first he he didn't like the kingpin design either he had kind of the same reaction you did and then when i reminded him about that daredevil comic he's like oh yeah that's right he's like well i changed my mind <laughs> <laughs> no like is it understandable um i just uh like I said, for, for me, it, it, it was too much of a... See, if he'd come from one of the other multiverses that we experienced in the film, I could totally bought into that design. It's just he looks so caricaturish and so over-the-top compared to everyone else in that world that kind of took me out of the film. But um, again, I would like to stress, as I did on the, the podcast, that, I mean, that was, my I think, my only gripe I had about that movie. That is a, a, a proper top-tier uh, superhero movie, just a wonderful uh, piece of art. Yeah, absolutely agreed with that. Um, so anyway, that that kind of leads to the next question: is what got you into superheroes in the first place? Oh man, so like I, I'm a I'm a lifelong uh, comics reader. Like, I mean, I, when I was a kid, that was my big thing. Like the, it was the X Men comics more than anything, and I, I think that's probably tied into the the nineties X Men animated series that that was on when I was growing up. So love the cartoon. And that was kind of my gateway into into comics reading. So um, I followed the X-Men comics quite religiously through the 90s, um, right up until about maybe 97, 98, all the sort of the Chris, uh, Chris Claremont stuff and beyond, um, and a lot of classic Spider-Man from around that time as well. I've got a particular soft spot for the, uh, the Maximum Carnage run uh, and all that stuff, even though I think... Having revisited it recently, it doesn't quite hold up as well as I remember it, but there's still a lot of fun in those pages. Um, and then I kind of drifted away from comics in the sort of uh, the late nineties, early two thousands. And of all things, it was the the Marvel Ultimate Run that brought me back. It I loved the idea of being able to get back into comics at a sort of ground level with story. So it's like I could come in not having to worry about the, the eight or nine years of, of storylines that I'd missed, and just pick up a, a completely fresh take on the on the Marvel universe and uh, Ultimate Spider Man, uh, Ultimate X Men. They're some of my favorite comic runs of all time. I think. Um, I think sometimes the Ultimate Universe is a little bit on the cynical side and it's a little bit skeezy, but maybe too much so for my tastes, but there's so much goodness in there. And like I said, the Ultimate X-Men and Ultimate Spider-Man runs are just wonderful. Um, I'm also also a big DC fan, but mostly Batman. I was a huge Batman fan in the day and uh, I, I didn't collect it week to week, but I would always buy like the trade paperbacks, you know, of, like, the, of the, uh, the big arcs and story arcs. So I've kind of followed them that way. Uh, some of like the the Jeff Loeb stuff in the early two thousands as well, yeah, Dark Victory and Long Halloween. I mean, those are some of my favourite comics. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm one of these people. I just, I've, you know, it's always been on. I've always kind of had a comic on the go somewhere, and uh, Marvel Unlimited has been an absolute godsend for someone like me who's kind of lost so much time with them at one point. And so I've just spent so much time going back and reading everything that I missed. And yeah, I feel like I'm totally versed in it again. It's it's lovely. Yeah, I think um, uh, I, I imagine we're probably similar generation because I for me it was very similar story getting in with the mm. the X Men animated series and then 
branching from that into into comics. Um, yeah, I'd started reading before the Ultimate stuff, and um, and when Ultimate hit, that was kind of like the peak of my comic reading time. So I definitely yeah. uh, dove into those and reread them fairly recently. Ultimate Spider Man still holds up really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I got a lot of criticism about Bendis's work on on Avengers or Superman, but his Ultimate Spider Man work, his Daredevil work, uh, yeah. Alias, that was just like top tier, great, some of the best comics ever written. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. The Ultimate Spider Man stuff is really special, and and it's funny you should you should say that you re- reread it recently. Um, I'm currently in the midst of a reread. I've kind of gone back to the very start of the Ultimate Universe, and that's what I'm doing. I'm picking my way through all in Marvel Unlimited, and. Um, the Ultimates holds up better than I remembered it being. You know, I, I kind of I, I felt that that at the time was was so cynical and so bleak. Mm-hmm. But looking back at it now, it's almost quaint at times, considering you know the, the political landscape that we currently have. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think Mark Miller does a lot of interesting stuff, um, but you know, maybe he lets himself down a little bit at points throughout that run. But uh, yeah, it, it's been it's been great to revisit it, and I'm I'm really excited to get through it all again, and then maybe. You know, maybe have a chat about that somewhere down the road. I've got a couple of uh, guests on the podcast who are uh, big comics fans as well. So yeah, definitely something we'll be looking at on, on the podcast. Mm. I think. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, I, I did a re- reread of all the Ultimate stuff fairly recently. Um, mm-hmm. Miller stuff, like I said, Ultimate Spider-Man still holds up very well. Ultimate X-Men yeah. th- does not really hold up as well. It's just <laughs> very much like peak cynical Millar stuff. And the Ultimates is slightly better. Um, if you try and remember that it's not the Avengers, it holds up a little bit better. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, no. I, I hate, I hate his take on like Steve Rogers and, and Hank Pym. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but the stories are good. The stories in, in mm-hmm. the Ultimates is good. And then when we got to Loeb stuff, that that's that's a different story. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I agree entirely. I think I do feel that's mm-hmm. where the wheels come off a little bit. Um, but I mean, I, again, revisiting them, it's fascinating to see how. How the visual style and some of the story beats um, have definitely influenced the MCU, you know, and you can, mm. you can definitely see that bleeding through quite a lot. And um, in fact, just revisiting into the Spider Verse, some of the character designs there feel like they've just been lifted wholesale from the from oh, the yeah. Ultimate line, which isn't a criticism because the character designs there are, are wonderful. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's been fascinating to revisit. Um, and then yeah, just to, to continue on from what I said, those comics kind of led me back to superhero films. You know, I'd always mm. kind of like, tuned into them when, whenever I could, uh, but I had lost a little bit of luster for them. And I'll be honest, the MCU completely revitalised my love for for from all things Marvel. And um, yeah, I, I'm a staunch defender of the MCU, almost you know to my detriment sometimes. But I, you know, I I think they do much more right than they do wrong. And uh, yeah, I, I think that what they've what they've crafted over. Goodness, what is it? Six, seven hundred movies at this point. <laughs> it's getting to um, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what they've crafted and, and the sort of the interconnectivity and all that—I mean, that—that's catnip to me. You know, it's, it's, it, that just pushes all my buttons and, and absolutely gets me where, where I want to go. No, I, I agree one hundred percent. You're you're in good company here on that front. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I've, I've had some guests on who aren't as as keen on it anymore, but mm-hmm. like me, I'm st- I'm still all in. And um, one of a probably the most frequent guest, uh, Adam Garcia. He, he, he's always commented on, he's like, he's like, Oh, you know, I feel like it's, it, it's hard to watch Marvel mo- movies or, or something along those lines. Cause there's just mm-hmm. so much. And I'm like, I love that stuff. I am completely <laughs> here for that. I love that. It's that it's so interconnected. And it, and by this point yeah. you're either in it or you're not. 
Yeah, I mean, and like we've we've guests on the podcast frequently as well. I make any, I make a real effort to make sure that we have dissenting voices, you know, because there's nothing worse than shouting into an echo chamber, is there? Because that doesn't help anybody, and it's not really, it doesn't really stimulate any great any good chat. Um, but like th- this this notion of having to watch everything and you're missing out, I, I just don't buy it, you know. I mean, my, I've always had the same take that the. I think the, the end goal for these movies was always for them to be exactly like the comics and in the regard that if you only watch the main films, you'll be fine. You know, you'll, you'll be able to follow everything. There may be characters that show up who you're not familiar with, but the film will do a good enough job of explaining who they are and you can understand, much like the comics do. And then if you like a character, you, see, you can say, oh, you know, what's going on with Wanda? Well, you know, what, what's ha- what's her backstory? Well, there's there's like a six-part miniseries waiting for you on Disney Plus if you want to read more or you want to learn more about her. You don't need to watch it, but it'll just add a bit more flavour to the story if you do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really buy into the idea of there being too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I do I do think maybe the, they've lost a little bit of their mojo in the last phase, but nowhere near the levels that I think people would, would have you believe. I, don't, I really don't think it's dropped off as much as people think it has. Oh yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, and in fact, that actually, you know, circles back to what you're saying about about Maximum Carnage, right? Because of all mm. the different characters that I had actually done that recently for the the Patreon show with um, with a fellow Scotsman, actually, uh, a buddy of mine, Liam Kerrigan, came on to do mm. that, and uh, and yeah, we we dove into that one, um, and it's uh, it's very nineties, it's very nineties, <laughs> yes, but it is. but um, and you know, definitely too many characters, I, I would argue, but. But one of the but one of the interesting things about it is very much to your point, you didn't have to know all about these characters when you were reading the story. Yeah. The the story gave you everything you needed to know, and if you wanted to go learn more about about Iron Fist or Captain America or or Firestar and the New Warriors, you could then go do that. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone would want to learn more about Nightwatch though, so you could skip that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like there was a there, there was that it came to the fore. Uh, for me anyway, uh, when they dropped the Marvels trailer uh, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of like, oh, so so we're going to have to have watched WandaVision to know who uh, Monica Rambeau is. We're going to have to have watched Ms. Marvel. Like, no, 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 no. The film will get you up to speed very quickly. I, I think mm-hmm. Marvel have got a great shorthand for that. They do it really well in almost all of their movies. It's like you don't need all the backstory. But again, right. if you go and see the Marvels and you really enjoy it, well then, boy, have I got good news for you? You know, you can go and find mm-hmm. out more about these characters afterwards. I don't think it's—I don't think it's a prerequisite that you have seen it before you go to the cinema. Um, I just think it would add to your viewing experience if you have, but it's not—it's not vital. Uh, and I think yeah. people need to get that out of their head, you know, because that, as we said earlier, there's so much Marvel, there's so much MCU. Um, unless you are a sort of diehard fan like us, maybe mm-hmm. maybe you won't get around it all. You know, maybe you do have to pick and choose. But as long as you're watching those core movies, I don't think you've got anything to worry about, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Infinity War is probably the best example of, of that shorthand because, mm-hmm. you know, when you get introduced to each of the characters, in each scene, you get exactly what you need to know about them the second they're introduced. Like, the, mm-hmm. the Guardian's introduction is still, like, one of the best intros in the MCU. It just, yeah. you're in outer space, you got the you got the soundtrack blaring, you got them all in the cockpit singing, and then and they're just like, oh, we're gonna we're flying over to, the, to check this out. And like, maybe we'll get some money for it, maybe not. And and <laughs> right in that scene, you get the you get the inter you get the conflicts between the characters. You get a, a quick shorthand of who all they they all are, mm-hmm. and I think it helps a lot that James Gunn uh, did some of the writing rewrites or or maybe even wrote the whole scene yeah. himself. Well, I mean, I, I think Infinity War is kind of the closest we've ever got to having a sort of an event comic splashed up on the big screen, you know, and that, that's what it feels like. Um, 
and and I do remember again there was a lot of criticism at the time from certain quarters that there's not much of a, a character arc for a lot of the the other characters. You know, it's like they all kind of just arrive and they don't really go through many changes. And it's like, well, yeah, but but we've got like twenty films that have all got those changes. You know. So, um, uh, next thing I want to talk about is uh, talking about the uh, what, what kind of stuff are you into lately? Like, what's been grabbing your interest these days? It could be anything: movies, um, comics, TV, anything that that's kind yeah, of like getting um, you interested in stuff. So, recently, I mean, I, th- I think at the moment my, my big interest is um, a British show called. It's not a comic book show, but it's a, a British anthology series called Inside Number Nine. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's it's um, it's a wonderful show by. Two sort of British stalwarts, um, Steve Pemberton and Rhys Shearsmith. Um, they kind of they did uh, the League of Gentlemen back in the day. That was quite a big UK comedy show, and it's kind of an anthology where every week you don't really know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's a horror episode, sometimes it's a broad comedy, a silent episode, and um, they've just finished their eighth season in the UK, and that kind of encouraged me to go back through their back catalogue. So I'm currently winding my way through that, and it's such a treat. I mean, like the the consistency of output over the last 10 years from those guys is, is remarkable. They both they write every episode themselves and they star in every episode pretty much as well as different characters every week. Uh, and it's just, it's remarkable watching them. Um, so, I mean, that has kind of been my big TV love at the moment. Um, in terms of movies, um, I'm on a bit of a Daniel D. Lewis kick at the moment. Um, I started, I, I rewatched There Will Be Blood uh, towards the beginning of the year. It's the first time I've seen it in a long while, and it still stands up as like one of my all-time favourite films. But all it really did was inspire me to, right, I, I need to go back and watch every Daniel Day-Lewis performance <laughs> I can get my hands on. And so, yeah, that's what I've been spending this uh, the last few months doing. And he is just, you know, in that way, it's almost a cliche at this point to talk about how how great an actor he is because, you know, they, mm-hmm. they throw awards at him, you know, constantly. But it's true, you know, he's, he, he does something with a craft that, that so few actors are doing these days. Every performance feels like a reinterpretation of, of, the, the, of the form and of himself and what he's given to it. Um, yeah, it, it's been a real treat to, to go back through that. And oddly enough, I, I watched, um, the, have you seen The Banshees of Inishernan? Uh, no, but I've heard, I've heard a lot of people talking about it, though. Yeah, so I mean, so I I uh, I watched that recently, and it it totally blew me away. It's it's one of those films I can't wait to revisit. Um, but that inspired me to do a big rewatch of sort of uh, Martin McDonough's back catalogue. So it's not many; I think it's only four four movies, but each of them feels like this little mini masterpiece. And he feels like a director who's working just now. Who, whilst he is recognised within certain circles, it doesn't feel like he's had like a big mainstream hit yet, or his name's not widely known. I think it's only a matter of time before we get there because he is what what a talent he is really remarkable, and uh, yeah, I mean out, out with that in terms of of my superhero uh, viewing experiences, um, it's just MCU at the moment. I'm planning a I'm, I'm planning a Christopher Nolan uh, Dark Knight Batman Begins uh, rewatch at some point in the near future uh, because my uh, my eldest daughter um, is quite keen to watch when she's 16 so kind of just the right age to kind of appreciate the nuances in those movies so mm-hmm. um, yeah that might be next on the agenda once uh, once I get through all my other bits and pieces awesome yeah for, for my part like what I think I'm most into right now is season 3 of Superman and Lois like I've been watching that oh, week yeah. to week and it is I think it's I think it's probably the best season uh, that of that show so far. It's just like the it, it seems to be sidestepping the problem that I think the like the second season I felt it was trying to kind of match the beat to the first season a little bit too much, like with mm-hmm. the the 
mid mid season villain twist and all that. Here they they had that to an extent, but it felt a lot more organic with um, yeah. the way they did it in this in this season. And it's just like the 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 interdynamics, the fact that you know, I'm I'm not sure if you've lost watched any of this this current season. No, so I've seen seasons one and two, um, and okay. loved season one. I loved it so much. One of my favorite like superhero shows. Season two almost lost me, if I'm honest. I, I stuck out to the end, and it kind of brought it, it rated itself. I felt in the last few episodes, but by about the midway point, I was I was flagging a little bit. So it's good to mm-hmm. hear that season three is a bit of a, a return to form. It is, yeah, very much so. And even though they get they replaced the the actor who plays Jonathan, um, oh, I'm yeah. still not completely keen on the new guy. I still prefer the uh, the other guy, but he he mm-hmm. does a pretty good job. And and, and there are definitely par- parts in the season where I'm just like where I forgot the fact that he was a replacement. So that that was it's mm-hmm. definitely good. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to watch it when it's. I think it starts in the UK soon, um, so I will definitely tune in once it once it's running. But yeah, like I said, I, I wasn't sure about going back to it after season two because it just, like I said, it, I I don't like like TV shows when I feel like it's a a slog. Do you know what I mean? Where I feel like I'm watching it for the sake of completion, and I was kind of getting a little bit like that with season two. But the, like I said, yeah. towards the Flash end, is, uh, Flash season, yeah, Flash season seven and eight was like that for me, and I I, I started watching a little bit of season nine, but it, it's it's still got some of that same. But I, it's the last season, so I got to finish it. Yeah, whenever I think of the Flash, I have a chuckle for one of uh, one of the guests that we had on uh, podcast six one six, Craig McKenzie, because um, he 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 follows the Flash and he reviews it for the site, and and he's in that. He's been on the show where- too. Yeah, he, Craig. Craig just can't let it go. He just has to watch it to the end. And we, we had him on six one six a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about it like he was a, a lifer getting out of jail. You know, he's just like, you know, only only another four episodes to go, then I'm free of the Flash forever. It just makes me laugh. I, I don't have I don't have the staying power for that. Like, I mean, I, I I ducked out of the Flash after two seasons. You know, that was enough for me. It's like, no, it's it's not going where I want it to go. Um. So yeah, I, I have nothing but admiration for him for getting through that show. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, once you're, I mean, I, 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 I was kind of like that with Supergirl, and then in in the last season, I'm just like, I, you know what? No, I, I, I'm just, I'm done, I'm done. I couldn't finish the last season, but the Flash, I've stuck with it for eight years. I, I stuck through season seven and eight. So at this point, just one season more, and I got, I got to finish it up. I got to see, I got to see Stephen Amell come back as Green Arrow one last time. So I just, I just got to yeah. see how it finishes all up. Well, it's a shorter season as well, so they're being kind to you, Perry. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's only yeah. whether it's twelve episodes. You can do it. I've got confidence in you. You get there. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, uh, today, like we said earlier, we're talking about uh, Doctor Strange, the um, the twenty sixteen movie. We had actually covered. Have you ever seen the original Doctor Strange movie from nineteen seventy eight? No, it's it's been on my watch list forever, but I've just never gotten around to it. Uh, what, what did you make of it? We covered it way back in like one of our early episodes. I think like episode five or six or six, before episode 10. And surprisingly good. It was surprisingly oh, really? good for the time. Yeah, I mean, because it was because I was expecting something very kishy, very, very like, you know, very tongue in cheek. But it I mean, the effects are crap, but. The effects aside, but yeah, it took itself surprisingly seriously. Uh, Peter Hooten played Doctor Strange, um, and he did a really good job in it. Uh, they had, I can't remember who the guy who played Wong, but he was also pretty good in it. Um, mm-hmm. Jennifer Walter played the um, the villain, uh, Morgan mm-hmm. Le Fay in it. And yeah, it was it was surreal to see her in that because I, you know, when I, when I think of Jennifer Walter, I always think of Lucille Bluth. So 
going back and seeing her in, in, in that and seeing her, how young she was when she did that was, uh, was really surprising. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like, you know, when you think about it, you got to put it in the time, right? It was 1970. So like, even like the, the top tier TV dramas weren't as sophisticated back then, yeah. but even for that time, especially, I think if that had gone to series, it would have been a really interesting, like urban fantasy type series. It would have been kind of like, you know, Buffy or Supernatural, you know, yeah. 30 years ahead of its time. Uh-huh. I know it, it's, it's definitely one that I've been looking to cover for the longest time, but you know what it's like, you know, the watch list gets ever longer yes. and it just keeps getting yes. pushed further and further down. But um, it, I'll definitely visit it, I promise, definitely. Yeah, I'd say it's worth a watch. It, it's I was um, I was surprisingly taken with it a lot more even than like the um, fairly recently we'd covered the uh, the Incredible Hulk pilot, the nineteen seventy seven mm. one. I actually thought it was superior to the Incredible Hulk one, oh, and wow. you know that's and that's regarded as like you know kind of a classic for the time. I this was, and it's funny when you think about it because it came out before Superman the movie, and it it took itself you know, just arguably I'd say more seriously than Superman, the movie took the source material. Hmm. I mean, that's interesting because we, on podcast 616, we tend to just do sort of like, um, we look at, we look at modern MCU, modern films that are coming mm-hmm. out and modern TV shows we cover. Uh, but we do have a special episode uh, called Marvel Tat uh, that Ashley generally heads up and uh, she's covered, uh, the, in fact, pretty much the entirety of the Incredible Hulk on there with a few guests. And, um, yeah, she's got a list as long as your arm for, like, the, those kind of Marvel <laughs> projects that she wants to go back and do. So Doctor Strange is definitely on that list. I think we've got – we also want to do the uh, the original Captain America movie from the, the 90s. We've uh, done that, one. yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Although uh, interesting – Interesting piece of trivia on uh-huh. that is uh, Ronnie Cox. He plays the president in that. He was also mm-hmm. the um, he was the the corporate bad guy in the first RoboCop movie. Yeah, and he said uh, that the script was like the greatest script he had ever read, and he doesn't know what they did to that script because what came out the other end was just complete garbage. <laughs> See, I've got really fond memories of that uh, film. I, I I don't remember any of the specifics, but as a kid, um, I had it on video cassette, and I must have watched mm-hmm. it about fifty times. If you're to ask me right now to describe what happens, I have no recollection of it. I just remember like ten year old Hugh loved that film so much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, I, I I cannot wait to get back to that one. So, so I mean, there's there's a certain charm, isn't there, about those films? You know, where mm-hmm. like where they're giving it their all, even though it's clearly not working, you know, that they're yeah, putting everything yeah. into it and you can appreciate it for, on that level, I think. So yeah, no, definitely they, they will be on the Marvel tat list that we'll get to eventually. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, so what's your history with Dr. Strange? Were you a fan of him at all in the, in the comics or was this kind of like your big introduction to him? Honestly, this was kind of, this was kind of my, my big introduction to him. Um, as a character proper because he'd always been someone who would show up in other things I'd read rather than be I, I didn't really read the Doctor Strange comics at all uh, growing up but obviously mm-hmm. you, you know the, the the Marvel comics are like you know there's the characters popping up left right and centre all the time so he was a character I was aware of um, I'd read some bits and pieces I'd seen some stuff with uh, the, the nightmare storyline that they did as well that, you know because he's obviously a recurring villain um, but in terms of, of the, the meat of the story I knew the broad strokes but I didn't really know anything other than that so mm. I actually think that kind of helped when I went to see this movie and it probably you know informed why I'm so fond of it because I don't really have any issues with changes that they may have made or you know slight 
character discrepancies because it was all largely new to me anyway. Yeah, I, I very similar. Like I was, I was slightly more familiar with him. I wasn't as familiar with like his solo comics, but I had done mm -hmm. um, probably about maybe ten years, uh, eight or ten years before this movie came out. I did a big dive into the classic Defenders comics. So, oh, so right, like, okay, and, and, and he and he was like the mainstay uh, of that. Team. That's right. So, yeah. like, I I read that. Like I read that entire that entire run. I was like what like hundred and. 100 plus issues and change 100 issues and change and mm -hmm. like the the steve gerber stuff the jm de Matea stuff was far and away like top tier 70s marvel um and so that was where most of my familiarity mm -hmm. came came was from that and just like seeing him playing off like hulk and yeah. and valkyrie was just a was, was just a lot more fun for me um whenever i tried to dive into his his solo stuff it, it was a it was a bit more of a slog to be honest it was a bit harder to get into like even like Warren Ellis even did a, a run on him in the nineties. And uh, that's out in one of the Epic collections. And I tried reading that and it was pretty slow. And that surprised me because yeah. Warren Ellis's uh, Hellstorm run is one of my favorite, you know, supernatural Marvel comics that he did mm -hmm. also around the same time. And so, so I was expecting what he did to Hellstorm to also be like what he did to Dr. Strange. And it really wasn't. And it just, and I think the character just, I don't know, the way the character was written in the comics, he just felt very, I guess maybe stuffy is the right word. He just never yeah. felt like he had uh, a whole lot of range. I think Jason Aaron's run from a few years ago, that kind of changed a little bit of it. And I, I, I enjoyed, I found myself enjoying how he depicted Strange in that. And it was, I think that was very much influenced by what Cumberbatch had done in the movie. Because I was, I was completely taken with, with Cumberbatch's performance in this movie mm -hmm. and, and continuing on in the other films too. And um, I think the changes he brought to the character really made him a lot more interesting for me. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny you should mention Cumberbatch in particular, because I remember at the time there was, a, when it, he was, uh, when the film came out, there was a lot of discourse around him maybe being, you know, slightly miscast or that they were trying too hard to make him like almost a, like a knockoff Tony Stark, you know, like a mystical mm. Tony Stark, and I, I, I don't, I don't think that's quite the case. I, I really like the sort of the the arrogance that he has in the role, um, and and it kind of it works for him because he doesn't have enough charm initially to to be as likable as Tony Stark is when he's you know when he's putting people down, he's making all these quips. But again, that just adds to the character for me because it makes mm. him stand out as something a little bit different. Um, yeah. And if I'm honest with you, I think that I think the scripts don't serve him particularly well when they try and shoehorn in the sort of like the Marvel quips that we've become so used to be under sort of the Joss Whedon school of writing, you know, where everybody's got to have something funny to see all the time. Um, and, and I think that's when it falls flat. Whereas a, a lot of the humour that works for Doctor Strange, not just in this movie, but like across them all, is in is in Cumberbatch's mannerisms and his delivery of lines, not so much the dialogue itself. Um, and and I wish that they would lean into that a little bit more and stop having them like with these one liners that just they just don't work. You know, it's like there's a few mm -hmm. absolute clunkers in this one and the Multiverse of Madness. We just think, yeah, you, you wrote that with with Robert Downey Jr. in mind. You know, he could say that and get a laugh at the audience. When Cumberbatch says it, it's like uh, it doesn't quite land. But there's so much else about the performance, and there's a there's a real gravitas to to Cumberbatch in in, in the role, and like the, the scenes early in this film where you know shortly after his accident where he's trying to come to terms with with what his life is now, 
I think he's devastatingly good. Um, mm-hmm. the, the the scene between him and, and Christine Palmer in the in his apartment where he's lost everything and he and he lashes out to her and pushes her away as well. I mean, I, I think in, in a lesser actor's ha- hands that that scene comes across as a bit a bit sort of rote, a little bit trite, and doesn't quite land. But Cumberbatch really, really sells it, and Rachel McAdams is is wonderful. I think mm-hmm. she's very much wasted in this film, but she's a wonderful actress, and she she bounces off him so well. And yeah, like, I mean, those are the those are the facets of the character I find really fascinating in this film, uh, and it's something I kind of hope or wish that they would maybe focus on a little bit more as the character progresses. No, I agree with you completely. I one of the things that I love about um, Cumberbatch's performance is the the whole idea that, and and this is. It, it is very it is a very similar style to Tony Stark where he's the smartest man in the room. He knows he's the smartest man in the room mm-hmm. and he wants you to know it, too. Um, and I think I think you're right. I think sometimes they they play that like, oh, well, it's the same thing. So let's let's give them the same lines. It It's different. He's a he's a much drier version uh, of that. And he, and he's a lot more biting and acerbic i think and i think yeah my fa- my favorite interaction was actually in infinity war with him and tony stark where tony is trying to act like he's the smartest one in the room and and strange is like no 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 no, it's me and he completely <laughs> knocks him down every time yeah, yeah. and i didn't even pick up on this until last night but uh one of my favorite lines in infinity war is when he says to to stark he's like unlike everybody in your life i don't work for you and then I picked up that's actually an echo of the line he that um that Wong says to him here when Strange is making all these quips and he to Wong and Wong's just like completely deadpan and then Strange like yeah. people used to think I was funny and Wong says did they work for you? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it, I I think the I think that there's there's a there's a huge difference in the portrayal of each character. But I still think sometimes the writers haven't caught up with that yet, and they still mm-hmm. it's something that they need to learn from. It's not. It's not really a huge issue because I do think that, that Cumberbatch is, is so is such a strong actor that the strength of his performance kind of overwhelms any any shortcomings in the dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it still works really well. Um, and and you mentioned Wong. I mean, <laughs> Benedict Wong is just he's a bit of a stalwart of uh, like UK sitcoms. I mean, like we I, I know him from like, dozens of, of like one-off appearances he's a great character actor he's very very funny um and if you were to tell me 10 years ago that benedict wong would be such an integral part to the marvel cinematic universe it would have blown my tiny mind because it, it's crazy how far he's come and revisiting this film it was interesting to see that this again they still they hadn't quite got the character yet had they they hadn't quite mm-hmm. landed on what he was going to become but yeah, it's it's funny to think of him now being, you know, the sorcerer supreme, and he's almost like he's become a bit of a sort of Phil Coulson, hasn't he? Showing up in various mm-hmm. properties to kind of link them together, because uh, obviously he's in Shang Chi and he shows up in She Hulk, and there is a feeling that that Wong might be the one that's going to pull everyone together for whatever the next big threat's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny watching this last night and then seeing how far that character has come, and. Yeah. Uh, you just blew my mind though when you said that he's a stalwart of, of British. I had no idea he was British, and because his, his American <laughs> accent is pretty is so is so well done in this movie, especially compared to, I mean, Cumberbatch. I'm not sure why they had Cumberbatch use an American accent. To be honest, I think it would have been perfectly fine. I think it would have worked better if he had just used his natural accent. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, it seems like an odd choice because. Um, 
again, they're not as beholden to the comics as uh, some people would like, but I think that's a strength in, in the, the MCU. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, the comics are a jumping off point to tell the story they want to tell. So right. do you know what? See if you want if you want Doctor Stephen Strange to be British, that's fine. We'll make this have him be British. It's not a problem. And um, you know, Cumberbatch. I think even by the time he was cast here, was quite a recognisable face uh, across mm. the pond because of his work Sherlock. Yeah. So it probably did come as a bit of a you know a real sort of what's he doing? What's what's that voice? Even though I think his accent is okay, it's noticeably American because it is noticeable. Yeah, so familiar with Benedict Cumberbatch's accent yes. that it's like yeah. mm, it's a way of the ear to adjust. I think when when this movie came off came out i had just finished doing a binge of sherlock so when i went mm. and watched it i'm just like <laughs> i was completely taken aback and it i think it actually took me out of the movie the first watch a lot because just like mm. how different his voice was and i just yeah. i was not expecting that and i think it and it just it felt so unnecessary because there's even if you're sticking very close to the comics there's nothing really in dr strange's background that says he has to be a native new yorker he, he lives in New York, but there's nothing about that that says he has to be a native New Yorker. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. as a comparison, like I'm watching, um, I just started watching the um, the Undoing on uh, on Max now because I'm I'm canceling the subscription because you know fuck Zaslav and um, <laughs> and so I'm trying to watch like all the stuff that I've been meaning to to check out and you know um, uh, what's his name Hugh uh, you know the rom com not Hugh Laurie no no the rom com Hugh Grant. Hugh, Hugh Grant, yes, he's in it, and I, I know all the Hughes, Perry. I know them all. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. So Hugh Grant's in that, and he's you know he's playing this doctor in New York, but you know he's still using his his British accent, you know, and it, and it works fine. I'm like, there's no reason you couldn't have done that with with Cumberbatch in, in these movies. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. It's, in fact, just speaking of Hugh Laurie, there's another one. I mean, I'm a big fan of House. You know, I, I love that mm-hmm. show when it was on. But as a viewer who knew Hugh Laurie for years growing up as um you know as the sort of the comedy foil in blackadder um mm-hmm. you know with this very posh upper class british accent again it took forever to get used to that accent and again i think it's a perfectly fine american accent that he's doing oh yeah, yeah. but it just it just took forever for my ears to, to, to kind of like ignore the fact that he wasn't using his actual accent so yeah i think it's a problem but uh, it's not it's not one that i've let deter me and and i think how many how many appearances are we in now like five or six by this point mm-hmm. i i think it's almost it's almost completely gone now i don't really think about it all that much yeah, I've gotten really used to it now, and it, it doesn't bother mm-hmm. me as much as it did on the first viewing. I think by the time we got around to Infinity War, I think I'd probably, I, I had accepted it that just this is the way it is. Um, I yeah. think it would have been better the other way, but it, it's it's working fine. And, and and you know, like like you said, like Cumberbatch's performance is so good; he brings so much to the character that it yeah. it it's not a big it's not a big distraction in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, now, I think this was. I think when I was thinking about the origin story movies uh, last night that Marvel has done, I feel like outside of Iron Man and whether or not you want to call Guardians of the Galaxy an origin story movie is, you know, you, you could say it is, you could say it isn't. But I think mm-hmm. outside of, I, I, I'd say it's not so much. It's where the team got together, but they all had their own backstories going into it. So I don't really think of it as yeah. an origin story as much, but, but I think, of the origin story movies, you know, like Iron Man, Captain Marvel, um, First Avenger, Thor, all, all those. I feel like this, outside of Iron Man, this is probably my favorite of the origin story Marvel movies. Yeah, 
see that's interesting i wrestled with this before before we, we began recording i've been kind of going over the list in my head and yeah do you know i i think i might agree with you at the i, I do have a ridiculous soft spot for the first avenger i i, I love that film i, I do i mm. think it's one of the mcu's proper underrated gems oh yeah um, but yeah the, the this this film is is terrific i mean really um there's so many interesting details in this film going on just in the margins of it. Um, and like, you know, it, it's so, it's so rich with the, with, with impressive visuals. And I think it benefits from having a director like Scott Derrickson, who has such an eye for these things. Mm. And he's got such a, I think he's even at this point in his career, there's a confidence about the way in which he directs this film and what, the way in which everything's put together. And those trippy sort of psychedelic effects that we get and those battles in the mirror universe, which look astounding and deserve to be seen on the biggest screen imaginable. I mean, I, I, this was the first Marvel film I saw on a, an IMAX screen and I'm glad that I did. But even through all that chaos, he's such a, he, he's so good at, at laying out the, the geography of what you're watching. So you never really feel mm. lost, you know, you're always going with the story. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I think because Cumberbatch is such a talented actor, he really gets across a lot of the emotion of what's happening, which sometimes gets lost a little bit in an origin story. Um, very often, how, how many things do you see that, you know, you get an origin story and the hero's often not the most interesting thing in the origin mm. story, and it's quite disappointing. I don't think that argument can be made here. Um, we can maybe talk a little bit later, actually, though, about the, the villain issue that this film has, because I do think yeah. it is a, a kind of one of its glaring problems. But yeah, no, I, I think I would agree with you. Uh, interesting what you say about the Guardians, because I, I've made that point before. I don't really consider that an origin story either, because the characters all they all arrive sort of ex Nilo. They're, they're, they're exactly yeah. fully formed in who they were. You know, um, they go on character arcs throughout the three films by all means, and they change and they grow. But like the work's been done before we get there. You know, mm-hmm. you know, Drax is who he is, and uh, you know, the weight of their history is brought to that movie. Whereas here we kind of we get a proper sort of like right. What, what is Dr. Stephen Strange? What is this world? Mm-hmm. And also, I think this one's got like a big job in its hand for an origin story because not only do we have to bring in Dr. Stephen Strange and establish who he is and because, you know, they were setting him up from the from the get-go. Let's be very clear. From the get-go, he was going to be an integral part of the MCU moving forward and that's kind of mm-hmm. how it's turned out to be. But they also have to introduce the idea of magic to the MCU after... Right. I mean, how many years have we been going at that point? Nine, nine years in? Was it when was it about that route? Eight, nine years? Uh, I think a little bit. Doing... This was probably like eight years, I think, because two thousand eight yeah. is when it started. Right. So, 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 say, say eight years in, and now after getting all these superheroics and these like space opera adventures, now you're going to introduce. Oh, and there's also magical realms and demons right. and monsters. And, I mean, that's a big ask for a film, and mm. the fact that this film handles it so elegantly and with such such beauty at times. I think that gets underestimated sometimes how much work this film had to do to convince audiences and it does it so easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think, you know, Thor had, it kind of towed that line. It it came right, but it came close to that line, but it didn't quite cross it because there's that whole line in the first movie where he says, you know, you know, you call it science, your ancestors call it magic, but I'm from a place with one of the same. There's also the part in, um, and then you get to the dark world where they've got like, you know, spaceships and stuff like that they're flying around yeah. and and that one scene where jane's being examined in the um by the by the asgardian uh healers and 
they're like, oh, it's a soul forge. And she's like, no, 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 it's this, you know, whatever, like, you know, molecular yeah. or whatever type of thing. And it's like, yeah, it's just they're using different names for 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 sci-fi stuff, basically. Mm-hmm. And they're they're using magic names to describe sci-fi stuff. So it's very much, much more in the in the sci-fi realm in those. And then you get to this, and yeah, I'm pretty amazed at how well they were able to introduce the concept of magic multiverse too. multi this is the first mention we get yeah, of the multiverse yeah. here and um and we're you know and and when the ancient one says you know she's like you know it, you know we call them spells but if that if that um if that word offends you you could call them programs right and she's talking yeah. about it as like you know we're taking these energy from other dimensions and we're and it 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 works. It works in this way that, you know, it explains it and it doesn't become too woo woo. It doesn't become too fantasy. Yes. It still grounds it in a type of reality, which then ends up letting us able, when we get it to multiverse of madness, then we're able to just like cut loose and be like, yeah, it's magic now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like I said, there's an elegance to it because it almost like sneaks it in under, under the audience's nose, you know, mm-hmm. you, you've turned up to watch a superhero movie. Uh, and I, I would imagine the average moviegoer doesn't know Doctor Strange is like a magician, you know, like oh, to use yeah. those base levels. They just think, oh, it's just another superhero. Let's find out what that is. And it probably is a bit of a, oh, what, what, what are you wearing? Magic realm, they've got magical books and spells and, you know, is Dumbledore going to show up at some point? I mean, what's happening? But the, they do it just matter-of-factly. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that, if I'm honest to you, is down as well to Tilda Swinton's performance as the ancient one. Because mm-hmm. she she presents the sort of the reasonable logical face of what is an absolutely insane concept, you know. But she explains it so calmly and so uh, with so much humanity that you just accept it, you know. There's no, there's no. The audience has an immediate buy-in because of the way in which the rules of the magic are explained. As you said, that, that lovely line about well, if this offends your sensibilities. You can refer mm-hmm. to them as program. You know, because that's what we're doing. Is it's the it's the programming language of the world that we that we are able to 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 alter. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just very quickly until this one, I, I think she's great here, and I I, I totally get the the uh, the sort of the whitewashing issue uh, with changing mm-hmm. that character, and I, I think it's absolutely fair. I would not disagree with anyone who has an issue with that. Um, but just taking taking the character for what's presented on screen. I, I think it's a wonderful performance. I always remember, even at the time after the first time I watched this, being very disappointed that this was a sort of a one and done for for Tilda Swinton. Mm-hmm. I know she returned in Endgame, but um, this is a character I wanted to see more of, and I, I just wish that they maybe kept her around a little bit longer. Maybe maybe one more film before they decide to put her out, out to pasture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about the Tilda Swinton thing and the and the controversy about that because I mm. I. I'm too mind to this because I get the whole whitewashing issue. I totally do. And Scott Derrickson had said that he had originally wanted um, to cast an Asian actress in that part, but he was worried that it would seem too dragon lady esque and it would just present a different yeah. problem from, you know, the classic, you know, um, you know, wise old ancient man, a- Asian man mm-hmm. from the comics version. So I get wanting to do like an Asian woman instead. I thought that would have been interesting, but at the same time, I can understand why he's saying it's like, we were worried that that would be also, too stereotypical. Yeah. Um, honestly, maybe I, I should mean, just cast. A I, I black don't know what you think, said. but I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what you think, but I, I find the MCU generally to be pretty good when it comes to diversity. You know, I, I do think they make an effort. I do think that it doesn't always work, and, and they don't always land on the right side of the line. 
but I think it's kind of admirable that they do they do put the effort in. Um, and I appreciate, you know, it's all feeding the capitalist machine. You know, it's all the, the, mm-hmm. the Disney global empire. I get all that. But you, sometimes you just have to take the win where you can get it, right? And right. you look at a film at like look at look, Shang Chi is probably the best modern example, isn't it? I mean, Shang Chi is is a wonderful movie. I've got a lot of time for that film, and it's you know it, it's very very much focused on the on the idea of diversity, and they, they lean into that, and you know the entire film is filled with these absolutely amazing uh, Asian actors, and you know behind mm. the scenes as well, it, you know they've got they've got people from from that background who are contributing to the film, writing the film, directing the film. Um, so I do think Marvel generally get it right, or at least they look like they're trying to get it right. Mm-hmm. And so with something like this, I I kind of I buy Derrickson's explanation. You know, I, I, yeah. I wouldn't really... But that's easy for me to say as as a sort of like white Westerner looking at this, you know, it's right. easy for me yeah. to say, oh yeah, that's fine. So I, I do get the pushback. And if, if, if someone... Um, of, of like Asian heritage do, does have an issue with that. I don't imagine myself saying, no, you're wrong. You know, it's mm-hmm. fine for what they did. But I can only speak personally. And, and I think Derrickson's explanation kind of stands up quite well. Um, there are other franchises and there are other studios that I think do have issues with this sort of stuff. I really don't think Marvel do. I think they make a big effort with it. And mm-hmm. like I said, maybe it's not enough. In fact, let me be very clear, it isn't enough. You know, they should be doing more, but it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Well, also, I think with the ancient one, you're kind of in, um, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place because I don't think there's any way you can do, you can cast that character that's not going to have some controversy attached to it. Right. Because yeah, it's yeah. such a problematic character to begin with that there's going to mm-hmm. be, there's going to be some issue with it. If you, if you cast an Asian actor, then it's, you know, you're going, it's, it's just, it's stereotypical part. If you cast an Asian woman actor, then it's, it's a different kind of Asian stereotype. If yeah. you cast a, if you cast a non-Asian actor, then it's Asian erasure. So there's no real, yeah, yeah. someone's going to be pissed off no matter what you do with that part. Well, it, it's like the um, it's like Iron Man three, isn't it? When we heard we were getting the Mandarin, and um, mm-hmm. now I know this is a controversial topic, right? I know people like to get like, get quite angry about Iron Man three at things, but I love the, the twist there, the fact you know that it's just this absurd persona that they've kind of put mm-hmm. out there, um, and that was a, a neat trick of Shane Black's to kind of sidestep that issue. Because in a lot of interviews he did around the time, at, well, after the film was released and The Secret was out, he was very candid about it. It's like, that is a deeply racist, stereotypical part of mm. the Marvel canon. You know, the Mandarin is this sort of evil, inverted commas, yellow menace. You know, a truly awful depiction of, of Asian mm. stereotypes, right? Horrendous. But then you look at what Shang-Chi does with the same idea, and it's so elegant where you actually have uh, Wenwu, you know, talking about how all oh, the Westerners refer to me as a Mandarin, mm-hmm. the Mandarin, and then he starts to deconstruct how ridiculous and silly it is. And, yeah. and I love that. I mean, that that's kind of the, that's the, that's the, the script wrestling with the studios of the, of the company's really dubious past. And kind of putting it up there on screen to be mocked and laughed at, rightly so. But mm-hmm. have it, but, com- but coming from someone, um, but from a character who has the sort of the justifiable reasons to mock it and point it out. Um, yeah. I-, I love the way that they-, they-, they handle that. But I think you're right here. That the- doesn't it doesn't feel like there's a clean answer. It does it? It doesn't feel like there's a right or a wrong. It's kind of like right. I accept wherever you fall on this because it's like, it's a difficult one to to, to wrestle with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've talked about the Mandarin stuff in Iron Man 3. We did a whole episode on, on Iron Man 3, but um, I will say this, that I hated it at first, and my attitude at the time was there's a way to do the Mandarin that avoids the racial issues 
but without mm-hmm. having to make him a joke. And I thought that, mm-hmm. in fact, what they were doing in the first part of Iron Man 3, like I loved Ben Kingsley's performance in the role yeah, of the Mandarin. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting updating of it. Um, and then I, and then I said, but even still, like you could do it with an Asian actor. And I think that my go-to at the time was like, you get, you get someone like Tony Lung and you bring him in and he could do a really good yeah. job. And then, and everyone's like, oh no, it can't be done. It can't be done. And then we get Shang-Chi, we get Tony Lung himself as the Mandarin and it works <laughs> and he's able to do it. So I'm like, see, it can be done. Yeah, so I think, yeah. yeah, there's, there, there was definitely like, I've, I've come to terms with it because obviously they did. They gave me exactly what I said I wanted, so I'm fine with yeah. it now. Um, but at the time, I was very incensed about it because of the because of I felt there was a better way to do it. Um, yeah, I still have, I still have other issues with Iron Man three, but the Mandarin stuff I I can live with now because of what came after. Yeah, my uh, my co-host on six one six virtually spits every time I mention Iron Man three. She's so disgusted <laughs> by that film. I, I've always had a soft spot for it. If I'm honest with you, Perry, um, even even at the time, I remember coming out the cinema and uh, just thinking that the uh, undercutting the man of the Mandarin was just a hysterical reveal, and it, it really worked for me. And I was really surprised when I went online and I saw that there was a proper angry backlash from from a lot of the fans. And the longer I sat with it the more convinced I became that I, w- I I'm still quite happy that I really enjoy that, but I get mm. where people are coming from, you know, but uh, yeah, I've got a soft spot for Iron Man three. That's a, that's a really interesting film. That is probably the most divisive Marvel film that's been made. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because like, I, I don't even think there's people who are indifferent to it. As well. It's like you either really think it's great or you despise that film. And that, that's tends mm-hmm. people have changed their minds and maybe warmed to it over the years. But like, yeah. I remember at the time it was a proper, you know, like uh, some of the reviews at the time as well, there were some reviews that were glowing talking about how it's like, Oh, such a, such a unique MCU movie doing something completely mm-hmm. different. And then other reviews, which were just tearing it to shreds. Like, so yeah, I, I'm definitely in, in the pro Iron Man three camp. Um, mm-hmm. I think you'll need to chalk me up there. Yeah, I, I, I was I hated it initially, and I've softened on it. It's still pro, not my maybe not even my least favorite now. I think Eternals would probably be my least favorite, but it's it's definitely not a movie that I'm rushing to run back and rewatch. Mm. I, I think maybe my inherent Shane Black bias is showing as well. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Shane Black as a as a scriptwriter. In recent times, he's maybe fumbled a little bit, but like generally, I, I think he's a, he's a terrific writer, and he's got such a an interesting writing style that I think really suited Downey Jr. Obviously, with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang a few years oh, before yeah, yeah. Iron Man three, like I think his writing brings the best out in Downey Jr. Sometimes, and uh, yeah, no, I think for that alone, it was kind of enough to to, have, to give me a big buy in for that film. I I love Shane Black, but that was my issue. Is it it felt too it was too Shane Blacky. And it was it, it, it overrode the fact that it's it's supposed to be a Marvel movie first and a Shane Black movie second. And I think like yeah. and I think this is a this is an issue that Marvel has where sometimes you have directors who completely disappear in the movies and you can't really tell if it's their movie, whereas then you have but then you've got like Shane Black who it it's very much a Shane Black movie and you can yeah, tell it's a absolutely. Shane Black movie. But I think there's a there's a better balance. I think um, Scott Derrickson does it in this. I think. I think he he strikes yeah. a nice balance where this feels like a Scott Derrickson movie, but it also fits in the. I mean, James Gunn does it the best. I think of all of them, right? His movies yeah, feel like James so. Gunn movies, but they also seamlessly fit into the MCU. Yeah, you know, I think that's true. Um, 
I mentioned earlier, I mean, I, I was a big Scott Derrickson fan coming into this movie. Uh, as a as a horror critic and writer, um, like I, I think I think Sinister is one of the best horror movies of maybe the last fifteen years or so. I think it really works. It it, it works as as a sort of like a crowd pleasing horror movie, whilst also retaining some genuinely nasty moments and like shocking scares that that works so well. Um, I started to see and, that. Like, it's 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 well worth your time, uh, and the the exorcism of, of Emily Rose. Is is an interesting. Oh, he did idea. that. I I like yeah. that. I like that. The execution of that film is terrific. Even though I don't think it all hangs together perfectly, there are like two or three moments in that movie which will live with me until my dying day. I <laughs> sort <of laughs> absolutely like scared the wits out of me in the cinema. Really, really got to me. Um, and so yeah, so when he was coming on to direct this, I was I was very excited because I thought, well, you know, Marvel are taking a bit of a. Well, yeah, probably a bit of a risk given given a film mm. like this to, to to a horror director, and again, he just he skirts the lines brilliantly. He, he he does exactly what you want from the movie. Um, it's it's not scary because that's not the remit of this film, but like he really he captures such a unique visual style. Um, yeah, it's, that's the thing I keep coming back to over and over again with with this film in particular is just how different it looks to everything that had come before it in the MCU, and. Um, I, I think a lot of what Derrickson establishes here has created a bit of a sort of it's created like the, the, the sort of the hub of the MCU's visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the portals, for instance, is probably the best example of that, isn't it? Um, the portals that, that that are that are created here for the first time we see them on screen. I mean, I, I don't know about your parents. I I love Endgame. Right, it's, it spoke mm-hmm. to my to ten year old Hugh, who you know who would love who would have killed for a movie like that at that age. Um, and the portal scene is one of my favorite moments in cinema. I love it. Like, I, and every time I watch it, I flipped now, the fuck out in that scene. Yes. I mean, I was in the even theater, now. and as soon as we had the, as soon as they had that little crackle of of Sam's yeah. voice in his ear, I'm just like, oh my god! And I see, I see all the portals opening. Everybody's coming out. And I'm like, oh my god! It's coming! It's coming! It's coming! It's coming! <laughs> and like, I was sitting next to my then my fiance and i'm just like i'm like it's coming it's coming it's coming it's coming it's coming and then all yeah. of a sudden and then he says avengers assemble and i'm like yes yes and people in theaters in japan do not react to movies so like i flip uh-huh. the fuck out in that scene <laughs> you know it's fun it's a bit like that here as well in the uk we're not big on like crowd reactions but mm-hmm. you could feel this ripple of energy and love and joy in the cinema at that moment and it was it's just it was so beautiful um so, yeah, so, I mean, you, you don't get that without Doctor Strange, without the establishing yes. of, yeah. of that as a thing. And then it, it just shows up all the time now, which I, I think it's funny how we've taken it for granted. Mm-hmm. I mean, it shows up in She-Hulk when, you know, Wong's jumping through portals. It shows up in Shang-Chi. It shows up in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. You know, we've got uh, one of the one of the Ravagers has, has, has got the sling ring and opens the portals mm-hmm. at, at one part in the film. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean... and. The work that Derrickson establishes here and does in this movie, which then carries over to even the second film, Multiverse of Madness. I mean, there's a lot of uh, visual shorthand from from this film to that film. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I it staggers me that this film doesn't get more love. If I'm honest with you, I I agree with you. I, I mean, I I this film does have some issues, and we'll talk about uh, Caecilius. Mm. I think that's the next that's the big thing to that's the big yeah. elephant in the room to talk about with this movie. But um. But yes, yeah, as far as the visuals go and what it does to set up Doctor Strange, I mean, like this could have gone very bad, and this yeah. could have made complete. This could have been ended up being a complete nonsense film to to fans of the of the MCU, and it was like yeah, yeah. I could I could 
because I know I know lots of people who are not familiar with the comics at all, but who love the MCU and are completely invested in it. And I could have very easily seen like comic fans coming. You could have had a very similar reaction to Iron Man, like an opposite reaction of Iron Man three, where when Iron Man three, if, if you were much more tuned into the MCU than the, than the Iron Man comics, you probably fell more on the side of loving Iron Man three. If you were more Mm -hmm. tuned into the Iron Man comics, you probably fell on the side of despising Iron Man three. Yeah, I, I feel like you could have gone the opposite way with this, where if you were tuned into the comics, you would have come out loving Doctor Strange if they had made it very true to the comics. But you could have also come out being an MCU fan, being like just being completely confused, like, wait, wait, magic? What? What? And Derrickson was able to find a way to very seamlessly integrate the whole idea of magic to in- and the multiverse and to com- easily slot it into the MCU. And then, like you said, create this visual shorthand that is still with us to this day. Mm-hmm. And just like some of the... I think one of my favorite sequences in this movie is when he meets the ancient one for the first time. And she sends him through that like psychedelic journey. I'm like, like when he's looking at his hand and it keeps each finger is growing into another hand, which is growing into another hand and it just like nonstop infinitely. And then my favorite shot though, is when he's falling into his eye and he's like grabbing onto the edge. It's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. And, and it's almost a magic trick in and of itself, how easily Derrickson got the audience to buy into what he was doing. Because mm-hmm. like you said, as we mentioned earlier, it just happened very naturally. You know, it doesn't feel like a big leap to go from the world of superheroes and space opera to the world of magic and mysticism. It just feels like a natural next step. Mm-hmm. And it's become more impressive with hindsight because I, I look at the current, um, the, the, the current phase that we're in uh, with the multiverse saga and what are we, we're 10 movies in maybe six TV shows into the saga mm-hmm. and I still can't really tell you what the multiverse is in any concrete terms you know because every film has kind of muddied the waters a little bit or, or like Loki had Loki had what eight episodes to explain it to us and, and didn't really give us a, a clear answer on it Um, I, I just wish we had a film already that was that was in, in the same way that this film introduces the the realms of magic and mysticism. I wish we'd had a film that was very concentrated on what the multiverse was. It's all very, it's all half answers and obfuscated uh, responses you get. And and I think I think that's why this the, the general audiences aren't buying into it quite as much as they were for the previous uh, saga because it is still too muddy and they, they I, haven't clearly yeah. reason the rules for what it is. I agree with you. Like for the most part, I liked multiverse of madness. I know that's um, kind of a controversial take now, apparently, but I enjoyed it for the most part. But, um, but I agree. Like it's, that was a movie where I felt like for a movie called the multiverse of madness, I was expecting a whole lot of stuff to deal with the multiverse in it. And it just kind of wasn't. Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, I very much, I want a film or a show to sit me down and speak to me in plain terms and tell me how does the MCU's version of the multiverse work? Because there's been no firm answers on it. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they dance around multiverses, alternate universes, um, different dimensions, but there's never any inkling. Of, is that all the same thing? Are you talking about the same thing there? Are you using different right. words to describe the same thing? And it does, it, it makes it difficult to, to understand. Now, mm-hmm. I'm sure much like yourself, being an avid geek and follower of these things, I've got my own head cannon with all the information right. they've given me and I can, I make it work in my head, understand kind of what, what they're doing. But I also appreciate that I'm, I'm not the, I'm not the, the average like uh, movie goer. And so right. something you do need to kind of break it down a little bit for them. Um, 
very quick sidebar. I hundred percent agree with you with Multiverse of Madness. I I think it's a terrific film. And this is this is another movie that almost every guest we've had on podcast six one six um is unhappy with uh, multiverse of madness they just do not like it i, I think i found maybe one or two guests over the last year who, who've enjoyed it as well but um yeah well i'm scheduled to be on with... soon so i'll be uh, i'm one of the, the <laughs> pro column <laughs> so you'll it's have one at least ex- who's been on it <laughs> <laughs> well i mean ashley and uh, i don't want to i don't want to reduce this to this but it feels like there's a there's a division of a line between our male guests and our female guests and our, 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 our female guests really don't like it because of the treatment of Wanda in that movie and, and mm. the way that her, her grief is used as a weapon. And I totally get it. I, I totally understand where they're coming from. Um, yeah. Uh, and there's a, we've got a frequent guest. Uh, she's a, an Irish um, journalist and entertainment journalist, Dee Malumbi. Um, and she kind of put it most eloquently on the podcast, I felt, and really helped me to understand what it was that, that didn't click for her. And then afterwards, I still like, yeah, I, I, I still disagree. It still works for me, you know. I, I get enough out of it. Um, and I, I don't know about you, Perry, but I still view it as the midway point of Wanda's story. I mean, if mm. this is the end of her story, I think all the criticisms are correct. You know, the, the, they've wasted that character and yeah. they've really let her down from a writing standpoint. But this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe where I've been trained to understand that this is just part one or part two of her story. Um, so a year or two from now, if if there's no other Wonder projects, then I, I think it's a problem. But at the moment, no, I, I'm I'm quite happy to wait and see what the next one comes. Yeah, I mean, I I totally get the. That's my biggest criticism of the movie is what it, what they did with Wanda, and um, but I think there's I'm not as like I, I know some people have said, and even Elizabeth Olsen has said this. She said that you know she felt that Multiverse of Madness they didn't they didn't know what had happened in WandaVision. They just and. My take on it, and I'd said this when we'd done the episode on it with Will Sharp, was that it was, to me, it felt like she had gotten to the end of WandaVision. She knows she has this new power, and now she's trying to learn how to use it, and then she starts exploring the Darkhold. My take on her, on everything that she does in, in Multiverse of Madness, is she's being corrupted by the Darkhold, and it's not, yeah. and, and it's a different... And I, I feel I, the movie did not do a good job explaining that, and I, maybe that wasn't exactly their intention either. That's that's totally fair, but I think that's that's how my head can uh, explain that. Yeah, I, I'm exactly the same. I I also would say that I don't think Sam Raimi knows what a Wonder Vision is. <laughs> I think he was given maybe like a sheet with maybe like ten bullet points on it that explained what happened in that show. But I think what really happened is Sam Raimi came, came on board and they they told him, right, you've got this terrifying ultimate ultimate power level witch with the book of the dead in her possession mm. and that's all sam raimi heard so excellent what a great villain i'm going to use that um, <laughs> and so uh, the sam raimi nerd in me was just very forgiving of that interpretation of evil wanda mm. um, and, and and i have a lot of confidence in them to because they know how popular a character wanda is so right. i've got every confidence in them that that's something that they'll address down the line so i'll, I'll yeah. give them the, the opportunity to do so before i get too too grumpy about it yeah. All right. Now let's talk about Kaecilius in this movie, because you'd mm. mentioned that Rachel McAdams and how and I agree with you. I think she's kind of for an actress as talented as she is. I feel like she is a little bit wasted in the MCU. Yeah. I feel like she could have, you know, she could have been like the invisible woman now or something like mm-hmm. that. Like, and that would have been incredible. Very much so. Um, but and, and but like, I feel like the bigger waste is Mads Mikkelsen. Like, I mean, this guy mm. is just such an incredible actor. And when we're talking now, bringing in the Fantastic Four, and people are talking about, well, who should play Doom? And I'm like, we had the 
perfect fucking actor for Doom right there. And we wasted him on this throwaway character. Yeah. So th- this is like, so when I was doing my notes for, for this show, like that was the, what I'd written down above all else, the main issue in this film is Kaecilius, um because mm. it, it it's so flimsy a character. Um, there is nothing to grab onto there. I think also True to Ledger Falls, Baron Mordo suffers from this as well. The, mm-hmm. the difference is Mordo gets more screen time and more interaction with Strange, and so the strength of that actor kind of puts all that he does all the heavy lifting for that character yeah. rather than the script. So I think more. And we can also have there. him come back too. We all we he, exactly, he survives. Yeah. So like we get him in. Yeah. We get well. We get a variant in Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> we still have, you know, this the uh, I, don't, I don't know what universe this is. I know some called it six one six. Others have called it a different yes. one. So I'm not sure what exactly it is. But it's it's you know he's he's still out there. We can he still yeah, can come yeah. back. So we can see more of him. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And but, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I I, I actually think the the entire film. It has, has, it's got three or four actors that it, that, it are, that are utterly wasted. I think so. True mm. to Ledger Four, I think, does okay with what what's there, but you know, there's not enough. Um, Rachel McAdams, I, 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 I really don't understand why she was cast in this role if they didn't have bigger plans for her because it, it's yeah. so sort of like slight. You know, there's nothing to it. Um, I think another actor who's criminally wasted here. Is Michael Stuhlbarg, um as you know as Strange's like uh, rival doctor? Michael Stuhlbarg is a phenomenal actor. You want to talk about guys who could play Doctor Doom? I think Michael Stuhlbarg would have been a great Doctor Doom as well. I think he he's got such range. He's such a he's such a, an intense actor. But again, here it's so like you could have cast anyone in that role and it would have made mm-hmm. no difference because there's nothing to it. Um, and yeah, the, the, the biggest, uh, the most criminal waste is Mads Mikkelsen, who is one of my all-time favourite actors. Um, Hannibal is one of my, my favourite shows. It's my, definitely in my top five. And look, when I heard he was in this, I was so excited. I thought, excellent, this is what we need. You know, like a proper... Because Mads Mikkelsen can do scary very well when mm-hmm. he wants to. Um, he's, he's got such range, but he's he, I can't gri- grip onto anything that he does because... I think his backstory is explained in maybe two sentences when Mordo's yeah. talking about him, and even then it's very vague. It's like, oh yeah, he, he you know, he, he disagrees with the ancient one's teachings, and he discovered something that he didn't like, and then he turned on her. So no, oh, okay, okay, but I need, I need more than that. Yeah. And <coughs> similarly, M- Mickelson's at let's say the range that he's got means that he he's very good when he's on screen. He, he delivers the the sort of the funny one liners that we have as well quite well. I think he's very good at that. The you know it, it's a ridiculous exchange, but I, I still laugh about the 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 Mister Doctor thing. Mister Doctor, I mean, it, it makes no sense. I mean, like you're 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 clearly part of the real world. You know how this these navy conventions work, but it's still funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and again, I, th- I think it's Mickelson's delivery of the line that kind of makes it work. He, mm-hmm. I, yeah. as we've used, I've used this phrase a few times, but it's true. It's, it's the matter of factness of it. It's like where he says, um, "It's strange." He goes, "Hmm, who am I to judge?" No, he's very, very <laughs> dismissive of it. I, I love it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's baffling, isn't it, that they that they didn't build? I really like Dormammu, and I, I'm a big HP Lovecraft fan, right? Mm-hmm. I love the idea of these terrifying unknowable ancient gods you know just out with our realm of reality who could smite us all in a heartbeat if they were ever given access to her. all that stuff i find sort of the existential dread of that i find brilliantly mm. terrifying and dormammu as a villain is brilliant and um 
but like you, you don't really you don't really get any sense of of Caecilius's overall plan. What what he he wants everybody in the world to join the dark dimension, but mm. why? Like, what's your what's your end goal? To live forever? Like, no, it's it's all so nebulous. I think I don't think it yeah. really works. Yeah, I, I agree, and I feel like too. I mean, if you're gonna get Mads Mikkelsen in your movie, like yeah. he should have been Dormammu. Like make Dormammu the. <clears throat> Yeah. I feel like I feel like as much as I like how this movie set up the idea of magic in the MCU, I feel like its biggest failing is that it's too much setup, and it feels like they're mm. setting up too much stuff for sequels with Mordo, with with Dormammu, and it's just it's not explored enough in this movie. And I think I would have liked a little bit less setup, a little bit more active stuff happening in this movie. Yeah, you know, I think that's fair. Um, the, the Mordo stuff you mentioned in particular, like. The, his his character arc here doesn't quite make sense, and you know I don't really buy his his ultimate heel turn. You know where he where he goes mm. full villain at the end, because I don't really think there's enough in the film to justify it. He, he turns on the ancient one or like her her methodology. It's not really explained well enough. You know that that yeah. she's drawing power from the dark dimension. That's never really explained why it's such a terrible thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As an audience, we're just meant to accept that that's the case. Whereas Wong and Strange don't really bat an eyelid at it. They just kind of yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the whole else. the whole idea of like you know that we 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 preserve the natural law, and it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> like that whole yeah, thing, it just yeah. it doesn't make sense to me at all. I'm like, you're you're freaking sorcerers. You you're not preserving the natural law. You're you're opening portals to Mount Everest, and you're you're jumping all around the the place with these magic boots. You're not preserving yeah. natural law at all. So yeah, that didn't. And I feel like they're. There is a way to explore that, right? The idea of like, well, yes, we bend the rules so that somebody else can't break them. There's a way to do that, but I don't think the, I think you're right. I don't think the movie really sold that the ancient one took that too far. There wasn't Mm. enough to find out about why she took it too far. Why what she did is a problem compared to what, what they're doing. Like I, I, I did not get that sense at all. So yeah, that, that was a weakness for me was the the whole idea of the the ancient one, her 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 corruption or, or whatever it was like. It, I, I don't even know how to really describe it because it's just so poorly defined in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I also think that the, the delay between like this movie and the sequel mm-hmm. kind of robbed the, the Baron Mordo story of any agency or any interest whatsoever because they seem to just have dropped that, don't they, in between films? You know, the, well, I mean, I'm like, yeah. Th- that the, is the exactly of, yeah, yeah. The, the idea of Mordo traveling the world and like taking on wizards, removing their power because he, you know, he feels there's too much magic in the world. I don't think the film sells it well enough, but it is a nice hook to leave it on for when we're going to return to him and find out what came next. Um, <clears throat> so I do find that quite interesting that, that that seems to have just been forgotten about because they don't have enough time or the, or the studio has moved on to in, in a different direction and. Again, as much as I like Multiverse of Madness, it, it's a big disappointment to me that Derrickson didn't come back for the sequel because I think uh, uh, Multiverse of Madness was billed as the MCU's first horror movie, and it's not really, you know, it kind of mm-hmm. has moments here and there, but it, it doesn't quite land there for me. I think Derrickson maybe would have done more with that Mordo plotline. I think he'd have tied that into the nightmare story that he wanted to do as well. Right. Um, so, I mean, that that, that does kind of leave me quite disappointed. Um <clears throat> There was an interesting thread as well that's brought up in the film, but they don't really focus on, which is the the revelation to Strange about maybe 
two thirds of the way through the film that well, it's not enough to come to to uh, to camartage and learn these skills. You're also expected to become like a warrior, you know, to mm. help repel these forces of magic. And he's rightfully like shocked by this. You know, it's like I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm a doctor. I'm not here to kill people. And that's such a great idea, but it's so half formed in the movie. And yeah. again, you just think maybe a sequel that was a bit closer to this one maybe would have tied into those themes a little better and carried that notion forward because um, Strange's rejection of that is very quickly just undone. You know, he says, no, I don't want to do that. And then by the end of the film, well, actually, it's okay. Yeah, we'll do that. It's fine. And I, I just, I feel like they need to do a bit more uh, legwork to make that kind of uh, land for me. And I don't think it quite hits. You know, I, there are a few things in there that you'd said, and I'm... On the one hand, I would have loved to see more stuff from Scott Derrickson. On the other hand, I, uh, Sam Raimi is just like the perfect director for Doctor Strange, right? He's yeah, such yeah. a superhero fan. He's such a fan of comic books. And he's such mm-hmm. a fan of horror. And like this is like the perfect – Doctor Strange is the perfect character to meld those two loves for him, of his together. Yeah. I mean like I, you know, his Spider-Man movies are classic, but I did feel like his his style of humor does not work for Spider-Man at all. Whereas it <laughs> yeah. it works for something in Doctor Strange because it's this, you know, you can do like the campy horror human Doctor Strange and it works. It works. Yeah. Scott Derrickson, I, you know, I, I think he and I would love to see Scott Derrickson do more stuff for Marvel. You know what I would love to see is, you know, forget about the the Hellstrom TV show. Have him do like a, a, a Hellstorm Son of Satan movie or something like that. I think I would love to see that. That would be it. And yeah. then he could also play with these because I think <clears throat> a character like Dane. Damon Hellstrom would be much closer to um, the kind of character that he'd be, he'd have a better, he'd have a better, he'd have a better handle on. Um, Yeah. And also, uh, yeah, the whole stuff with the, the, I I agree with you too. The, my biggest problem with multiverse of madness is that it's, it's not a Dr. Strange movie. It, it's, 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 it should have been called multiverse of madness featuring Dr. Strange or something like that (laughs) because it, it does not feel like a Dr. Strange movie. He feels almost like a supporting character in some, in some senses. It it feels, and I feel like I would have much preferred as much as I do like a lot in multiverse of madness. I would have rather, it was just called multiverse of madness and, and build as like a Dr. Strange Scarlet Witch crossover or something like that. And yeah, then he yeah. also had like a Doctor Strange 2 to go along with it. Yeah, I think that that's a good idea. Um, what do you make of the of the, the rumours kind of circulating at the moment that Sam Raimi might be being tapped up to do the Secret Wars movie in a couple of years? I've seen that a few uh, reported in a few different outlets. Um, I don't... I have not heard about that, uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like... <laughs> I'm not so sure if that would work. I mean, I I could be proven wrong because, you know, the Russos were their only thing they had been known for was Arrested Development and Community before they did, you know, Mm, Winter Soldier. So so you never know. But like my gut instinct is that he doesn't feel like the best fit for for Secret Wars. Um, He doesn't feel like the best fit for like a big multiversal sci-fi thing. Um, I'm not sure who would be either at the same time. So I'm not sure. So I, I don't know who I would rather see doing that. So, but I, 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 I'm just biased because I'd rather see him get to do a proper Doctor Strange movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, on one hand, as I said, the Raimi fanboy in me thinks, yeah, give him it. Let me see what he does with that because that'd be fascinating to see what. I mean, what does Sam Raimi's Avengers movie look like? You know, I, I don't really know where to begin with that. That's fascinating. Um, 
but I, I can I still secretly hope that they maybe got an eye on Ryan Coogler for that movie because he's a he's a director who even even out with the um, the Black Panther movie he's a director that I've got a lot of time for I think he's a really interesting mm-hmm. guy and he's someone I think would bring a really unique flavor to that that film so again I, I'm a bit like you I, I don't don't really know have a preferred director but like the idea of Raimi excites me just because it mm-hmm. feels like it it shouldn't work but then. Yeah, I, I've got confidence in him to bring something unique to the table. So I'd be fascinated to see if, if it does come to pass. It'd be it'd be interesting to see. Like I wouldn't say no to it, obviously, right? But I'd just like, <laughs> I, but my preference would be for him to do a proper Doctor Strange movie. Like have him hmm. go up against, have him really lean into the horror stuff. Have him go up against Nightmare and, or something like that. Like like Scott yeah, yeah no, I, be I would. I mean, now that we've got Clea in you know, at the end of uh, Multiverse of Madness, I would really love to see like how he deals with that. And, you know, Charlize Theron is Clea is just like perfect. Yeah, absolutely. It's great casting. Um, it'd just be interesting. Let's say that, I mean, where we go from here is fascinating, isn't it? Because um, you don't really know when you'll see Doctor Strange again mm-hmm. uh, in the MCU. And, and I like that he's just kind of out there and you could, you know, you could literally show up in any of the next phase worth of movies. Yeah. So I think it'd be fascinating to see where he comes. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on uh, was just the the ending of this film, or the actual sort of like the final set piece. Um, just when we were talking about the sort of the unique stuff that Derrickson brings to this movie, the the balls on the guy to kind of to do that finale, where mm-hmm. like you know we're, we're used to the big Marvel showdown, you know, fisticuffs, crazy fight scenes, all that stuff, and he totally undercuts it by having Strange show up after the battle has already been lost. And then, rather than indulge in the battle and, and fight along, and fight everyone, he just reverses everything that we've seen. He just undoes mm. the damage that's been caused. Um, and vi- again, visually, it looks amazing. I mean, that scene is astounding as he kind of rebuilds the sanctum and, and the, the mm. destroyed city. Um, and then, you know, we we end on that magnificent showdown between uh, Strange and Dormammu, uh, mm. and the phrase "Dormammu, I have come, I've to, come bargain, to bargain." <laughs> burned into my brain from watching this film so many times mm-hmm. um and it's fun they, they allow strangers intellect to defeat the villain rather than any like you know power right. or strength he just he outwits him he puts him in a position that he can't possibly win and again there aren't a lot of marvel movies that would have the the courage of their conviction to end like that the whole film mm-hmm. is about strange adapting to his new life and what he's become but not betraying or letting go of his intellect or his beliefs. And so rather than fighting the, all, everyone and killing all these bad guys, the way he wins or saves the day is not by killing the villains, but by like, outsmarting them and putting them in a, an unwinnable position. Which I love. It, also, it also does a really fascinating way of addressing um, a paradox you have with the Doctor Strange origin movie, because Doctor Strange's role in the Marvel Universe is that he's supposed to be the the smart guy, the one you go to when, when all other hope is lost, when you have no other, when you have, when you have all these unanswered questions, he's supposed to be the one who has the experience and the knowledge to show you what to do next. And how do you do that when he's just started out, right? How do you do that when yeah. he's just had an origin story? It doesn't, th- those two things don't quite work. Why is he tapped as Sorcerer Supreme when there are other people who've been training for years? And this movie gives you that perfect explanation. Well, he was trapped in this time loop. So he had, you know, how many years of experience learning how to use magic in that time loop. And it gives you that perfect explanation right there. That's how he's able to, to get to this level so quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting as well. That's that's another slight issue I have with the film that is just that it's difficult to know how much time has passed from, Mm -hmm. 
his car accident to the end of the movie, you know? I mean, because I've got, you've got to imagine it's been several years, you know, because he's completely, I mean, the mess that his hands were in, that is a proper horror movie moment, actually, when he wakes up from his uh, his accident and he looks at his hands. The body horror imagery there is genuinely, oh, it, it just sends shivers through me as he sees well, also the, like, yeah, because, and also, too, I keep getting hung up on the, the line when he's in the car and he's looking through all those patients. And one of the patients is, you know, a 35-year-old, you know, um, military soldier who, was, who died yeah, in some yeah, experimental yeah. armor. And I'm just like... And at first, when that movie came out, I remember everyone saying, oh, they're talking about Rhodey in Civil War. And mm-hmm. and now I'm thinking about it. I'm just like, what, maybe they're talking about the the guys at the beginning of Iron Man 2 when he's going through and he's showing all the the footage yeah, of maybe, the testing. Yeah. That, I mean, like, and that would that would actually fit in well. And you're right. That could have been – it would also explain why he's not – why he's so surprised about the multiverse stuff and all this because in a world mm-hmm. where New York has been invaded by space aliens, you think this wouldn't be as surprising. Um, yeah, I know Marvel keeps. Keep but then we have the us. problem. But then we have the problem too. In in Endgame, when um when Hulk goes to meet the ancient one, and she says, "No, Stephen Strange is operating five blocks away from right now." So you know, yeah, so it, yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, I think I would have probably had it where he was in Camartage at that time or something would have made. More yeah, fun. yeah. Well, I mean, I was, I was going to say, Marvel are continually threatening to release this official timeline that they keep going on about. They said they've got a book coming, and I I actually. I, I can't wait to read it because, like, I don't know how it can make any sense at all. You know? mm-hmm. I think they've done a good job at keeping it nicely vague, you know, where you can yeah. kind of, again, your own head canon will kind of keep you right. And you can kind of, mm-hmm. you can wave, hand wave things away that don't quite make sense. And that's fine. So I am looking forward to seeing them put it down on paper and commit to telling us, right, this is when each thing happens and how they happen in relation to one another. Because, yeah, I, I don't really think it adds up, but yeah, I, I remain no. <laughs> I remain open minded, and I look forward to seeing it. Well, I, mean, I think that's the that's the problem. Anytime you're doing these these superhero things, like you know, DC continuity is just a complete mess. <laughs> it's just like with, you know, it's like yeah. all these different crises. You never know what is in continuity, what is not. And it's just like I think, yeah, I think people get way too hung up on continuity, and I think it's just like yeah. I think it it would work better if people just had more of a vague idea instead of trying to find a definitive way to explain all this stuff. Yeah, like I said, for me, I've got my own sort of vague head canon of how it all connects, and that's enough. You know, the film, I think the film largely does enough to give you that. I just think this movie in particular, kind of, because, I mean, time is the is the, the theme of the film, isn't it? Kind of the mm-hmm. recurring beats that happen. Um, and it, it's kind of, it's it feels like it should have been a long time from point A to point B. Yeah. But it's hard to get an engaged from that, because obviously when he eventually sees um, Christine again, her reaction to him is very much like she hasn't seen him for years. You know, it's been mm-hmm. a long time since she's seen him. Um, and again, he is quite proficient uh, with his, his magical skills by a certain point in the film. And it's hard to know how long he's been there. You know, he's he's learning Sanskrit and, you know, he's mm-hmm. been through all these books. And he's memorizing all these spells. So I don't know. Um, I don't think it's a huge feeling of the film, but it is something that I always wonder every time I go back to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, also, like, I... I'm of two minds of the time stones use here. On the one hand, I think they did find a really clever way to use it. And, you know, like we said with him locking him and Dormammu in the time loop and everything and the the whole rebuilding that he does, all of that works really well. But at the same time, I feel like there's, you lose something from the lore by having the eye of Agamotto just be the time stone instead of being its own thing. 
Yeah, uh, well, we, there you go. Again, that it comes back to that thing we talked about earlier about what you bring to it as a moviegoer versus mm-hmm. what you bring to it as a comics fan. And again, as someone who wasn't that familiar with Doctor Strange and, and his mythos, I, I don't really think I batted an eyelid. In fact, before the movie had begun, I was convinced that that's what it was going to be in the Eye of Agamotto would be an Infinity Stone because mm-hmm. I remember that at that point in the sort of the, the Infinity Saga, there was a lot of fun and sort of waiting to see when the next stone would show up and where it would right. show up. And it did feel like the time stone was a bit of a no brainer to have, you know, be one of Dr. Strange's in his sort of toolbox. Um, so yeah, when, when, when Wong kind of <laughs> fairly heavy handedly, you know, explains mm-hmm. that it's an infinity stone and Steven's like, what, what's an infinity stone? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit too on the nose, but it's, it's okay. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't mind that, that, that it being used there. And again, that pays off really well when we get to to Infinity War and Endgame. I think this kind of shows the 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 lack of long term planning that was going on at Marvel at that time too. Because yeah, you th- you have Doctor Strange there. The obvious one for him would be the Soul Stone, but they already gave that to Vision, so they couldn't use it. Yeah, here. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I take on board what you mean about about the long term planning here because even <clears throat> I even found the use of the phrase multiverse in this film to be a bit. Sort of, like, I remember sort of like squinting my eyes slightly at that, mm-hmm. raising an eyebrow. Like, really, you're talking about the multiverse, but but are you talking about the mirror universe and the dark dimension? Is that what you're talking about when you say that? Multiverse? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing yeah. when I was rewatching it last night. <laughs> and and it, I do think that they're maybe trying to retroactively fit that in to mean what they want it to mean. And right I, again, I, I I've got no issue with with the films doing that, but. Uh, it just it just further muddies the waters of what mm-hmm. what the multiverse is within the confines of the MCU. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably why it's better to to keep it vague as opposed to having some explicit yeah. explanation of it. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much all to say about uh, Doctor Strange. Uh, yeah. I mean, most there there are definite issues that I have with this movie, but most of all, I think it is overall. I think I do prefer this as. Of, among the origin story movies, this is definitely one of my favorites, and it and Cumberbatch just does such a good job of making strange and appealing character, which even in the comics is hard to do. Like he's always he's always seems better as a supporting character as opposed to being like a headlining character himself. But Cumberbatch does a really good job of of making him work here. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that's one of the the movie strengths is its casting of Cumberbatch in the title mm-hmm. role. Um, obviously. I think it's it's quite well known that Derrickson's first choice for the role was um, uh, Ethan Hawke. Uh, that that's who he had been offered the role, and he turned it down oh. at that point. And I would like I, that's kind of like one of the the, the sort of the, the great lost Marvel projects because I think Ethan Hawke would have been wonderful he in very amazing, different ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like he'd have done something different with the character. Um, but yeah, the, the film that they give us, I think, is really good. I'm always amazed that it gets forgotten about when people are talking about like the about the, the, the great origin stories in Marvel mm. because it really does it, it does feel like it's kind of the the black sheep of the origin story family um, because every time I go back to it I'm always amazed at how good it is and how you know what I mean I, I almost I almost trick myself I almost think because everyone, no one else talks about it and you know it's kind of it's dismissed often I think I myself sometimes in my head think oh maybe it's not as good as I remember it. And then I go back to it and think, no, no, actually, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really, really good. Yeah, it stands up really well, and um, it, it gives you a good, a good grounding for that character because it was so important that he landed well. Never mind the mm. film; it was so important that he landed well because 
by that point they already I think had penned him in as being one of the sort of the more pivotal characters in Infinity War right. and I think if he doesn't hit the ground running here then that's a, that's a big rethink that they need to do. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I recommend this film to a lot of people. It's, it's it's a lovely place to jump into the MCU. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's all well said. Um, there's one thing I wanted to mention about it, but I'm drawing a blank right now, and I'll probably remember it as soon as we stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> do you know the, the only other thing we haven't really spoken about is the uh, the set, the, sorry, the first post credit sting, which is um, when you know Thor comes a calling to, oh, to yeah, the Sanctum Center. Yeah. And I remember in the in the cinema, just like it's just so much fun, you know. It's just I just love seeing Strange interact with these characters, and it's brilliant. Um, and when we get that scene, when it eventually does show up in Ragnarok, it's so superfluous and unnecessary. Mm. But I don't care because I love I it. I love that scene; it's so great. Yeah, I can spend. I, I'm happy to spend time in the company of these characters, doing that, just sitting talking. I don't care if it feels like we're kind of squeezing them in when they don't need to be there. It's like that's part of the fun of having a universe with that kind of interconnectivity, isn't it? That right. you, you can have people show up at any point that, from other films, and yeah, no, I, I think it, I think it's a terrific amount. Wait. of fun. It also makes sense because, you know, the whole point of the, the sorcerers that they're supposed to be guarding the this plane of existence. So, you know, yeah, yeah. the guy who caused an alien invasion suddenly pops up again. The sorcerers are probably going to want to want to have a word with them. So that makes yeah, that, yeah. that totally made sense for me. And it, it's a great way to kind of show this role that Strange has in the MCU now where he's the guy you go to when, you know, when weird shit happens. So I thought that <laughs> it, it worked great. I loved it. it. It felt like something just out of a comic book. It's like, oh, fuck, what do yeah. we do now? Let's go to Doctor Strange. And yeah. although one, my big question is, what happened to his yellow gloves? Because we we see them in the head yeah. there and we never see him again. <laughs> I I suspect that the uh, they were met with derision at a focus group somewhere and they just mm. decided, yep, no more gloves. Let's just get rid of them. <laughs> because... I actually think it. I think it does look a little bit uh, too much like a costume at that point when he's got those mm-hmm. gloves on, you know. And, and I get, I get obviously the idea of him wanting to hide his hands and what's happened to them, but um, it's much more elegant, I think, without those big gaudy yellow gloves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they could have done a better job on the gloves, I think, but it would have been would have been interesting to see him pop pop back up. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and. Uh, I, uh, overall, I think it's a, it's a great movie. There there's some issues as to like where it fit, where all this fits in, how, over how long of a time period it takes, and mm. um, and obviously my my stuff with the with the time zone. Oh, and just a little um, Easter egg. Uh, I'm not sure if you caught the guy who was the guardian of the pre of the of the sanctum in New York. Oh uh, no, I don't think I did. So it's uh it's Daniel Drum. Uh, he's the he's the brother of Jericho Drum, and Jericho Drum uh, becomes Brother Voodoo in the comics okay, later okay. dr voodoo yes yeah, so that was a nice little a, easter egg i wonder if that's a character that they'll touch dr voodoo that feels a little bit <laughs> i wonder yeah i mean i think there's a way to do it i think there's a way to there's a way to do all this stuff like i mean they were able to do the mandarin so i think dr voodoo would not be too yeah, much of a yeah, that's true um I, I hope they get to get around to it at some point i think that'd be interesting uh, might make for a good Disney plus, especially now that we're getting more of the horror stuff with like you know the the Halloween special with Werewolf by Night yeah. and Man Thing was in that too. We're supposedly getting Blade at some point. <laughs> we'll see. Well, I, I saw that the um, there was there was another one of those like um, investor things where there was an image leaked, and I've seen it in two or three other places where there was a like a a, a logo for a TV show called Tales from the Dark Hold, and oh. it's like the. the 
it's like that's a great idea for a Halloween special for another yes, one of us. Yeah. You know, give us like a, a one hour like three short stories anthology horror. I think mm. that would be perfect. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'd love to yeah. see him do something yeah. like that. That would be really cool. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see. I, I love I love Marvel horror. I would love to see them do more mm. with that, and especially now that you know Marvel TV is done. Like I I want to see Hellstorm adapted properly. I want to see Ghost Rider mm. come back in. So I think those things would be so much yes. fun to see. Yeah, Ghost Rider's the one I'm kind of holding out hope for because um, I quite liked his use in Agents of Shield. I thought mm-hmm. I thought the the representation there was really good. Um, but yeah, give me just give me a Ghost Rider, even if it's a one shot, you know, like one of those special presentations. Right, yeah. Give me that, and then he can show up again in another movie somewhere down yeah. the road. But yeah, I'd be happy to see that. My only issue with with his portrayal in Agents of Shield is I prefer the the Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider to the Robbie mm-hmm. Reyes one. That was the that's the only thing. But but otherwise, I thought it was. And they then they left the door open for John Blaze in that anyway when they introduced him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll see Nick Cage pop up in uh, in uh, Secret Wars. <laughs> every I think I'm in Secret Wars, Perry. I think everybody who's alive <laughs> at any point will be in Secret Wars. So yeah, I'm sure Nick Cage will show up at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, apparently he appears in. Um, this is a bit of a spoiler, but apparently he appears in a in a in a scene in uh, the new Flash movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will go see the new Flash movie. I've kind of hummed and hawed about it for a long time. My yeah, uh, my my sixteen year old daughter. Do you know what? Full credit to her. She put her foot down and she doesn't want to see it because of all the Ezra Miller stuff. You know, yeah, and, and yeah. I totally respect that. Um, and but I'll be honest, the comic book geek in me can't resist Michael oh. Keaton's Batman. I don't I care know. How, what That's... the film is like. I, I'll go for that. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. Like my hatred of Ezra Miller is outweighed by my love of seeing Michael Keaton on the big screen as Batman <laughs> one last time. Yeah. I, I, I wish I could hold on to my principles a little bit better than my daughter does, but uh, <laughs> I, I, do want, I do want to see Michael Keaton one last time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because it doesn't look like we'll be getting Batman begin. So, or Batman beyond. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. All right, you. Um, well, thanks so much for coming on. I'm glad we were able to, to get this uh, organized because with you, um, with you in the UK, me in Japan, we had some trouble trying to <laughs> uh, trying to schedule times here. But I'm glad we were able to make it happen. Uh, so why don't you tell people uh, where they can find your stuff? Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, thanks so much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. This is a, a movie I've been desperate to talk about for a long time, but like we just we've never had an excuse on the podcast to get to it. So thank you very much for letting me come on and talk about it. Um so yeah, if you're looking for me, the best place to find me is on Twitter. I am over there at Angry Scotsman81. Uh that's where all my links will be for my writing. Um I also can be found on the We Made This Network. Uh, I'm the co-host, as I said earlier, of Podcast 616, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, uh, and also of Vampire Videos, which I co-host with Dan Owen. Um, that That's just entering creaky. I think we're just about to end our third season on Vampire Videos, which is crazy. Um, and we've covered so many great films, and yeah, we've got season four pretty much locked down as well, so lots more to come there. Uh, so yeah, please reach out, give me a shout if you want to uh, hear any more of my insane ramblings, and uh, I'll be happy to share them with you. Okay, great. And we'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes. Um, as for us, we are SuperheroCinephiles.com, Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Remember, you subscribe to the Patreon page. You get these episodes uh, a week in advance, no ads. Plus, um, you get the access to the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club, where once a month we talk about comic books and graphic novels. All of that for just a dollar a month. So not too much that's going to break your bank. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time.